Yes, good morning and welcome to Calvary Community Church Sunday School, May 21st, right, already, week after Mother's Day, and uh, we're going to continue uh, in Fundamentals of the Faith. Today we're going to dive into the work of Christ, and so the key verse that I've chosen for us today is in Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and in him you have been filled, who is the head over all rule and authority. Let me pray for us. Father God, we are in awe of you, having journeyed through your attributes in the last few weeks and in the person of Christ last week. I pray that these realities, these supernatural realities would land in our hearts, that our hearts would be truly captivated by Christ, and that our desire to know him and to be like him would surpass all other desires in our life. Father, that you know, as the Apostle Paul said, he has suffered the loss of all things in order that he might, be, might gain Christ and to be found in him. Father, give us that heart. Um, we think of how the Apostle Paul said that his life was of no account or a valuable to himself, but that he might complete the course that you've given him. And so as we think about uh, the circumstances that we're in, the struggles we have with difficult circumstances and difficult people, maybe we are, maybe we are one, of those, one of those difficult people, Father, but we pray that you would help us to look to you, to be transformed, and to live in light of eternity, in light of your presence, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've got a lot to cover today, but fortunately, unlike Khalif, who had to do the quick uh, version last week, I've got two weeks. So um, we'll see if we can even make it with that, because we're talking about the work of Christ. Um, and um, my prayer is that this just whets our appetite to be thinking about this all the time. We never get past the gospel. We never get past uh, the work of Christ. And so... Um, you could, let me go ahead and get the next slide here. Our memory verse, I don't know if you guys are doing the memory verse, but um, there we go. Um, in, in your book, there's a couple things that I just want to emphasize. There's a memory verse for each lesson, and there's also, I think if you look at the beginning of the book, there's recommended audios that you can get online from John MacArthur's sermons for each lesson. And some of it's kind of older, um, John MacArthur, like when he's quoting from the King James and such, which is kind of fun. But they're excellent. So if you haven't taken advantage of those, please do that. I think they'll really help fuel this study for you. So the verse is 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So important, I think, as a, as a gospel verse, um, to emphasize the full work of Christ, right? His humanity, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I find that unless we're intentional, we miss something about that. We want to present, we want to understand ourselves and present the full work of Christ. All right. And this is our key verse as well, as I, as I mentioned. And I want us to think about this because there's a real connection between the person of Christ and his work. They're not separate. In the same way it is for us, right? We can only work out of our identity, right? And Christ is a savior. Christ saves because he is a savior, right? His, his, his person indicates his work. And then that's how he, transit, how he uh, transforms us as well. He trans, uh, transforms us from the inside out. We're going to explore that a little bit more. But I want us to just think a little bit, pause on this verse for a little bit. In him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Christ is completely God. Hebrews 1 says that he is the exact representation of his nature. There's nothing lacking in Christ. In him, you have been made complete. Amazing. You think about it, particularly if you read the Pauline epistles, all the times it says in him. It's really worth reflecting what it means for us to be in Christ and the implications in our lives. Right? In him, we have been made complete. That's a spiritual reality. I don't know about you, but I struggle to believe that every day. Do you feel complete each and every day as you wake up? I don't, but I need to walk in that spiritual reality. And he is the head over all rule and authority.
couple things to think about there. One is he is ruling over all circumstances and all people. The question for us is, am I submitting in my heart to his rule and authority, right? The extent to which I'm anxious, for example, that's my big struggle, I recognize is the extent to which I'm not subjecting myself, resting in his rule and authority. And so um, this is very real and very practical for us. So I pray that we would really understand uh, our need, and we'll cover this in our lesson, um, our past and ongoing need for a Savior, right? We didn't just need him for salvation. We need him continually for sanctification, uh, that we would understand the cost of God's work in Christ. Um, and we're going to get into the provision, that we would understand the provision of Christ's work, um, and that we would really demonstrate the presence of the risen Christ to others. We can get into that a little bit. Uh, and we would live lives of repentance and faith. One of the verses that I come back to a lot is in Colossians 2. Uh, just a couple verses before what we just read. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. How? I'll ask you this. How have we received Christ as Lord? In what way? By faith. Okay. There's, there's another word that I'm thinking of as well. Begins with R. Righteousness is good. But that's not, I'm talking about our response to Him. Yeah, and the word I'm looking for is repentance. We come to Him in repentance and faith. Repentance. I hope you understand is not a one-time thing. We continue to live that cycle of repentance and faith in our lives. All right. And so this is, this is what I'm thinking of in terms of its implications in our lives. And I, I really commend this passage to you for memory. Um, it, it'll, it'll inform and empower you each and every day. For God, he said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves, in every way, afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. This is very humbling. This is very hard. This is very beautiful. Anyone feel afflicted this week, perplexed? I'm going to say yes to all those. Despairing, yeah, yeah. But we always carry about in the body the dying of Jesus. We're dying to self and living to him. That's a constant battle with sin. And so this is a sense in which, there's a sense in which the, the work of Christ is very personal, very practical in our lives. We live this out every day. And as I challenged us earlier, how much do you and I want to be like Christ? What is the extent of that desire? I'll look real briefly at, at Philippians 3 that I quoted earlier. We look at the example of the Apostle Paul. Philippians 3, starting at verse 9, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God upon faith, that I may... Know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship. Like, so I like that. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Great. Keep going. And the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So when we look at a passage like this, I challenge us, how much do we want to be like Christ? Right? How much do we want to be like Christ? Is it, and is it worth it? It is. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave the Holy Spirit to work on our hearts in that. Um, in Colossians as well, well, there's so many places I can go here. Um, Paul said, I fill up what is lacking, right, in Christ's afflictions in my flesh on behalf of his body, which is the church. Does that mean that, that there was anything lacking in the work of Christ regarding our salvation? No. But God calls us to suffer so that we might be like him. So much better t 
to suffer and to be like Christ than to be comfortable and far from him. Do you feel that? I need to be reminded of this constantly. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us, right? Romans 8, there's so many places we can go here, right? Um, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, we've got some time, so I'm going to look at it. Romans 8, um, when it talks about what does it mean for us to be children of God, <clears throat> Romans 8, I believe it's starting in verse 15. Actually, I'll start in verse 14. For as many as be, are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Great. Keep reading. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Yeah. And so when we think of the work of Christ, think about that, because that's how it lands in us day by day. So our outline today, we're going to talk about how Christ's person, we've already begun to talk about that, how his person relates to his work, what our need is, uh, the cost of Christ's work, and the provision of Christ's work. So person to work. Just want to make a couple different connections from last week to this week. Some of the things that Khalif opened up for us, right? The person of Christ. We saw glory, grace, truth, power. He's our Savior. He's our Lord and King. What does that mean? How does that land, right? The things that he does as a result of that. He became flesh. He dwelt among us. He humbled himself. He died and was buried. He, he was risen again. He rules in heaven and he rules on earth. There's a sense in which he rules on earth today and there's a sense in which he will rule very obviously in the future. So I'll ask this question. Hey, by the way, I noticed some of you guys are taking pictures of the slides. I'm going to send out the slides for you. So um, don't feel the need to do that. I'll, I'll do that uh, later today. In what way is Christ ruling well, let's, let's take the two things. In what way is he ruling in heaven right now? What's he doing? Interceding. That's the main thing, right? Yeah, he's interceding for us. Isn't that wonderful? We have an advocate. Yeah, he's ruling, he's, re he's reigning in heaven. He's interceding for us. What's he doing on earth? In what way is he ruling? Through the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Unpack that a little bit, Glenda. How, how does he do that? Yeah. 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 So the Spirit rules... In the hearts of his people. Yeah, a couple thoughts on that. Um, I think it's Galatians 5, 24 and 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. In other words, if the Spirit has made you alive, let him rule your life. That's, that's the walk of the Christian. Yeah. Um, in, in Ephesians, I think there's a couple passages that talk about how he rules through the church. And as you mentioned that, um, Glenda, that came to mind. In Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3... As I recall, it's amazing to think about this. Um, wow. The prayers in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3 are powerful. I'm just going to read the end of the 1. Um, Ephesians 1, starting in verse 22. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Do we think of ourselves as his body like that? It's amazing. He's filling, as imperfect, as struggling as we are, he's filling us individually and corporately, corporately as his church. I think later on in Ephesians 3, it, it says something. Yeah, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Ephesians 3.21, even earlier in the chapter, yeah, 
talking about God's eternal purposes. I'll, I'll just pick it up in verse 9, um, Ephesians 3, 9. Um, and to bring to light for all what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be known through the church, through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. How has God demonstrated his power? Through the church. I want, I want us to think about how amazing that is. Think about how weak, how flawed, how much in need we are. It's through us that God has chosen to demonstrate his power. And to the rulers and the authorities, to, to, the, to, the, to the heavenly realms, even to the satanic powers, they've got to look at this and say, I can't believe God is using these people. Right? I, I think we have to just sit and be amazed by that. So you kind of got me on a tangent there, Glenda, but thank you. So in a very real way in the spiritual realms, he is on earth through us. Amazing. All right. Let's talk about our need. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Romans 3. I want us to spend just a little bit of time here. Um, our need can scarcely be overstated. And so we're going we're gonna to chew a little bit on Romans 3, a little bit more than what you have in your book. I'm going to go uh, verses 10 through 18. Quoting from the Old Testament, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This has always been true of mankind. I think in different ages, it becomes more obvious. I think we live in an age where I think it's a lot more obvious. I don't know about you. I generally do not expect people to be truthful. Is that too negative? Is that too pessimistic? I'm actually surprised if people tell me the truth and follow through on what they say they're going to do. Now, you all, I, I view a little bit differently, right? I think I have, we have valid expectations of one another in Christ. But in the world, just don't see that. So her guilt is pretty clear, right? And I think this is in, in, your, in your book, right, on page uh, 40, 41 or 42. We have no righteousness. We have no understanding. We have no seeking of God. We have all turned aside. We've become worthless. We do no good. I think um, this is emphatic for us, right? It's almost like, well, surely there must be something we can do to please God. And I think if we understand this passage, we recognize how ridiculous that is. It's not possible. It's not, yeah, it's just not possible. And so this is quoted primarily from Psalm 14. And it's interesting for us to think about it. We don't... We don't become sinners by sinning. We sin because we are sinners. You understand that, right? And even as believers, we see this remains with us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit, but we still see what a struggle it is. I think of verses like Genesis 6-5, every intention of the thought was only evil continually, right? That's our condition. Luke 6:45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Wow. And hence the verse in Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life and our very words. You know, as I think about aging, as I see people ahead of me experiencing lack of memory, dementia, those types of things, I think to myself, wow, I better be putting some good things in there so that good things come out when I don't have my faculties. I'm very concerned about that. Yeah. Because there's, there's things out in there right now that I do not want to come out. Well, what is sin, right? There's, there's a number of ways that the scriptures describe it. And, and one of the most helpful ways that I found as a kid is, it, it, as I was, uh, we see like Romans 3.23, for all it's sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so you may have heard the analogy of God's righteousness or his standard is like a target and we shoot the arrow at the target. 
think a testimony of the scriptures, if we look at verses like um, Isaiah 53, 6, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I'm going to summarize real quick here, but the scriptures say that we not only fall short, like if we're shooting at the arrow, we're not, we're not going to make it. We don't have the distance. Not only have we turned aside, but if we read Romans 3 properly, we're not even aiming in the right direction. We're aiming in the opposite direction. We are not even close. Right? It's not like we need, a, we need some adjustments to please God. Right? We're, it's, it's, we're just, this is our condition. Right? Um, so important for us to recognize this. All of our righteous deeds, it says in Isaiah 64, 6, are as filthy rags. Think about that for a minute. The very best that you can do is absolute filth before God. Wow. I hate to break it to you if you hadn't really realized that, right? That's so important for us to recognize. And, you know, and even having been in Christ, I can't believe it, some 50 years now, I still think there must be something that I can do to make up for the sins that I've done, even as a believer. You know, I just finished listening to the audiobook of um, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners by John Bunyan. Who uh, wrote Pilgrim's Progress? And he said, you know, he just, he was not only overcome by his sins prior to being in Christ, but even the things that he did when he was in Christ. I hope I'm not the only one who feels that burden sometimes. And there's nothing you and I can do to make up for that. Nothing. It's all been done in Christ. And so, this is the work of Christ that we talk about. We'll get we'll get to the more of the good news here. So. Let's dive a little bit more into Romans 3. So that's our guilt. And then here's the part that didn't, the book really didn't get into. But where does it lead? right? Where does, where does our guilt lead to? It leads to destruction and death. Um, our lives are characterized by deceit, cursing, violence, misery, conflict, no fear of God. You know, I was talking to my brother-in-law yesterday and uh, just reflecting on everything that's going on in our world. It's getting pretty bad, and it seems to be accelerating. But, you know, in some ways, when you look at this, it's a wonder it's not so much worse. Right? If we really understand our condition, the preserving power, the restraining power of, over evil that God has generally in this world and his rule in the hearts of his people, we are salt and light in this world, prevent it from being so much worse. So <clears throat> this is how I like to explain the gospel to unbelievers um, it's, it's a lot worse than you think, but it's a lot better than you think in terms of the work of Christ. So we always need to be reminded of that. The next thing that relates to our need is slavery. And I love this passage from um, John 8. I find it amazing. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, or in the New American Standard, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's seed and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. Anyone else find that phrase ridiculous? Having known even a little bit about the Old Testament? You were slaves for about, I don't know, 400 years, something maybe. Not that whole time, but you were in slavery, right? How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Romans 6 really unfolds this in a marvelous way. We'll get into that in a little bit too. Um, I think it's in one of the Petrine epistles where it says, by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Right? Anyone here have besetting sins in their lives? Things that you think, Boy, I'm never going to get full victory over that. I'm not the only one. Hopefully better over time, but sometimes it just seems impossible, impossible. And, you know, after many years of walking with the Lord, I think about, I have these moments where I sit and I think, wow, this, this sin that I thought I would never get any kind of victory over, it just doesn't have a hold on me like it did. It's not totally gone, right? We're not in glory yet, but I think, wow, I, 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 I'm, I'm largely free from that. What's interesting is I know that I didn't do that. Yes and no, right? I, I know that I, 
I walked with the Lord over time. I, I, I sought him. I, I was in his word. But I know that my effort didn't accomplish that. He, he, he transformed and he weakened sin's grip on me. And so I hope you feel that. I hope that, that when we choose to sin, let's look at it. Romans 6, right? Um, this is our, our daily decision. I had a long conversation with uh, my brother-in-law yesterday about this. Uh, look at, um, yeah, look at Romans 6, starting at verse 8. And this is where the, the work of Christ really lands in us as believers. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. As believers, we have a true choice each and every day, each and every moment, right? To present ourselves to God as his slaves or to sin. But we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. Right? Galatians 6, 7, and 8 is helpful as well. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will, from the flesh, reap destruction. But the one who sows to the Spirit will, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. Every thought, word, and action we can sow in one direction or another. Praise God, we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. The other part of our need is death. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, amazing to think about this. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God... Being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It can scarcely be overstated. People have talked about salvation as being shipwrecked and adrift in the ocean and somebody throws you a life preserver. I'm sorry, that is not it at all. <laughs> You're dead at the bottom of the sea. He scoops you up and brings you, brings you to life. That's the picture. And so that, that's, the, that's the extent of our need. Yeah. And as we said before, um, the best that we can do are dead works. They do not please God. And then this results in wrath. And so uh, emphasized a little bit of what we just read. Among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And finally, Romans 2, 5, which I don't know if that was in your lesson, but it's worthy of consideration. But because of your stubbornness, an unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Amazing to think about a lot of people seemingly comfortable, seemingly happy, oblivious to this, but storing up wrath. I find it frustrating sometimes that the consequences of sin aren't immediate. People seem to go about their lives, even we do sometimes, with... Um, a desensitized or no conscience. People sin with apparent impunity. No, at least no short-term consequences. You know, you see something and you say, you know, a bolt of lightning would be really helpful right now. Right? 
God has, God has chosen not to do it that way. The wrath is being stored up, and God is restraining himself to give opportunity to repent. But that need is nonetheless there. So let's turn to Philippians 2. We're going to spend a little bit of time here about the cost of Christ's work, just several aspects of it. Um, if you're following along in your book, I think we are right on page 42 under, under the cost of Christ's work. I'm just going to go ahead and read Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Let's hear God's word together. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, that there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, fulfill my joy that you think the same way. By maintaining the same love, being united in spirit, thinking on one purpose, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory, but with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. So, what did Jesus do when he came to earth? He emptied himself. Right? He emptied himself. Doesn't mean he ceased to become God, but he became what he was not, as some have said, without ceasing to be who he was. He took on human clothing. You see that next. He took the form of a slave. Right? He gave up his uh, the prerogatives of heavenly glory. He took on the form of a slave. He was made in human likeness. And then what was the extent of his humility? We see this in verse 8. He became obedient to the point of death. Could Jesus have condescended any more than he did? No. It's a rhetorical question. It's okay. Yeah. Could he have humbled himself any more than he did? No. The highest of the high became the lowest of the low. Just hit me. Look at, look at John 13 with me. You see this quite amazingly in this passage. It's stunning, really, when you think about it. Just a, I'm going to read just the first couple verses of John 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. If you're coming to Iron Man on Tuesday, we're going to talk about this. What does that mean, and him loving us to the end? During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, how would you fill in what's coming next? Right? This is majestic lordship language. He came from God. He was going back to God. What's coming next? You'd expect a glorious display of his power. You do get that, but it's different than you expect. He got up from supper, laid aside his garments, taking a towel, he tied it around himself, goes on and began to wash the disciples' feet. This was the lowest position possible. Amazing. How did he choose to reveal himself in this way? Wow. 
he is our Savior, he is our example. I'll go back to, to um, Philippians 2. The extent of his obedience was unto death. And Hebrews 12 makes a connection for us about this. He says, you have not yet striven to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Has anybody here done that? No. Jesus did. Not my will, but yours be done. That's how complete his striving was. And so until you and I have striven to that point in fighting sin, we haven't striven enough. Right? It's amazing to think about that. Yeah. What, how, how much, again, how much do we want to be like Christ? In this way? Are we willing to go that far to obey our Heavenly Father? Amazing to think about. The Lord convict us of that and, and move in our hearts that we would, we would obey you that way. This quote from John MacArthur, in some way and by some means, in the secrets of divine and sovereign omnipotence, the God-man was separated from God for a brief time at Calvary as the furious wrath of the Father was poured out on the sinless Son, who in matchless grace became sin for those who believe in him. Amazing. That's a um, reference to 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What some have called the great exchange. And I don't know about you, but I'm not over this yet. I'm, I'm still amazed by it. And I know, you know, I, I was, I've been thinking about this in these times in, in which we live. Sometimes we can become desensitized to this. So it's good for us to be reminded. Um, I think it's in... One of the Gospels where it says, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. I don't know about you, but I feel that. I feel that. And so basking and bathing in the love of Christ is just so helpful for us. Let's go further. The cost of Christ's work, death. According to the law, one may, may almost say as all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. The these are referring to the, um, the sacrificial system of the Jewish people. Right? For Christ did not enter holy places made with hands, mere copies of the true ones, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Right? This is what you were talking about, Gladner, him interceding for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy places year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Wow. Wow. Only God can fulfill his own requirements. You get that, right? Put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. We think of Abraham and Isaac. Right? God will himself provide. And he's done it. So, I love this verse here. Um, one of the things we talk about with regard to evangelism is, you know, and, and Paul's really taught me a lot here, is you want to be prepared for maybe a short presentation or if you have time, a longer presentation. And so, if you just have five seconds, ten seconds, this is what I recommend. This is one of the verses that really just sums up the gospel for us. For Christ also suffered for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring you to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Also, um, I think of... Um, 
first, I think it's First Peter 2.24. I didn't put it in the notes here. Um, he himself bore his, our sins in his body on the tree that we might live, die to sin and live to righteousness. And this has real implications for us as well, right? It's not just to bring us to heaven, but the, that we might live a righteous life. A lot we can say there. Okay, bear with me here while I catch up with my notes. So a few other things here. We're going to go a little bit quickly about the provision of Christ's work. Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So reconciled to God and saved. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we mentioned that, right? Um, and I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God, imputed righteousness. You do get that you and I cannot generate righteousness. It has to be imputed to us by Christ. Actually, I'm going to say a little bit more about that. Look at Romans 8. I know I'm a little bit all over the place here, but uh, the, the scriptures are just overflowing with these truths, and I think this might be helpful. I love this in, in Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. Um, begins in a way that is very familiar to us, right? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was, God did. Sending his own son in the light as a sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Notice carefully what it says in verse 4. Does it say the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled by us? No. It's fulfilled in us by him. This is through justification, the finished work of Christ. This is through sanctification. The ongoing work of the Spirit, right? Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Again, an ongoing way in which God fulfills his own requirements. I remember um, talking with my son, Seth, one time. We were having um, kind of a one-on-one discipleship time, and we were talking about some area of obedience. I forget what it was, some scripture. And I said, son, how do you, how do you think that you'll, you'll be able to do that? He said, by working real hard, by trying real hard. Explain to him that's the effort is there for sure in the spirit, but it's by the spirit. The strength is not strength that we have on our own. If by the spirit, it says later on here, verse 13, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We're always relying on his strength. Galatians 1 4. This is, I use my electronic Bible a lot, so this is testing me who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Right? So we're rescued from the present evil age. Anyone here feel oppressed by what's going on around us? Feel like you're just losing it, right? Feel like you're going insane. He has rescued us from that. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have forgiveness, the redemption of, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This is interesting. I think about the things. That, you ever have things that God has promised that you need to be reminded of that you doubt, right? Do you realize that according to this verse, forgiveness, you have forgiveness? Do you realize? Some people will disagree with me on this, and, and I know some people have. As a believer, I firmly believe that we don't have to ask for forgiveness. Why? Based on this verse, in him we have forgiveness. Well, what about 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If forgiveness were dependent upon our confession, I better, I better be caught up before I die or else I'm not going to heaven. You get what I'm saying? If, if I die with some unconfessed sin, if this isn't true, then I'm not going to heaven. But we have forgiveness. And so the way I pray when I, when I confess sin is I acknowledge it before him and I thank you that I have forgiveness in Christ. 
And, I, and so I think the, the promise there is more of the, the experiential forgiveness and the cleansing that we have. I'll let you think about that. But we're reassured in him we have redemption. We have forgiveness. I encourage us to think about this. Um, I'm often convicted how I'm asking for things that he has already promised rather than thanking him for them, right? I'm not sure that asking God for things that he's already promised honors him, but thanking him does. Okay, there's a lot I could say about that. Romans 6, 6 through 7, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been justified or freed from sin. So we're free from the power of sin for sure, for sure. All right. So um, if you would, if you have your books, look at, um, at least in my book, it's page 44. It's, um, it's got a table there. The, top, the, the, the title at the top says, Jesus Christ, the answer to all man's problems concerning salvation. And uh, it's amazing. Uh, I'm just going to give kind of the, the brief um, the brief overview here. So what do we bring to the table? Man brings guilt, slavery, death, and is subject to wrath. Jesus brings his perfect obedience. He brings us freedom. He brings us eternal life. He brings us salvation. Um, so that, this, I won't go through this whole table, but it just kind of walks through in some detail all the way that Christ meets our need. As I look at this slide, I'm, I'm drawn to John 5, 24, where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Has anyone here struggled with assurance of your salvation? It's somewhat of a rhetorical question. I, 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 I'm going to assume that we all have. Assurance is one thing. Believing that you can possibly lose it is something else. I talked with a precious brother not, not long ago who actually believes that you can lose your salvation. And I unpacked this verse for him. I said, take a look at what Jesus said. He does not come into judgment, but has passed death, out of death into life. That's a past reality. If you've, if you've passed into eternal life, this is very basic, but I think worthy of our thinking. It's eternal life. You don't lose eternal life. It's not possible. It's eternal. And so this is a wonderful reminder, reminder for us. The finished work of Christ means that we have passed out of death into life. I think our question is, will we live in it? Will we walk in it? Here's another helpful quote from John MacArthur. To put it as simply as I can put it, if Christ is not my substitute, then I still occupy the place of a condemned sinner. If my sins and my guilt are not transferred to him and he does not take them, then they remain with me. If he did not deal with my sins, then I must deal with them. If he did not bear my penalty, then I must bear it. There is no other possibility. It is either him or me. You know, as I read that, I'm reminded of Psalm 32. Let's take a quick look at that. I, uh, I, I was reading in my, through the Bible reading this morning, um, the sequence of David and Bathsheba. And David having to grapple with forgiveness of grievous sin. All sin is grievous. This one is maybe more obviously so. And he wrote this. I think God would have us feel the weight of this. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man whose iniquity Yahweh will not take into account. Other scriptures say that he has cast it into the bottom of the sea to be remembered no more. We want to feel the weight of what we deserve and what it means 
that he does not take our sin into account. Jesus said to a woman in the Gospels, he who has forgiven much loves much, but he who has forgiven little loves little. We've been forgiven much, and we need to be reminded of that. I'm reminded also of Psalm 103. Thanks for bearing with me as I take a little detour through the scriptures. I think it's of the Lord. Psalm 103, starting in verse 10. Wow, um, so much here. Let me, let me start in verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, and he has not rewarded us according to our iniquities. What is the reward for iniquity, right? Death and wrath. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our form. He remembers that we are but dust. There's so much here. So much here. The greatness of our forgiveness can scarcely be described. That's the best description I know of right there. So let's, uh, let's reflect a little bit. I think we may have a couple, um, a few minutes for some interaction and for some questions. Why? Why did Christ have to die? This is basic, but I think worthy of consideration. Someone doesn't know the gospel, someone you're talking to asks this question. Why did Christ have to die? What do you say? Because we needed a substitute. Great answer. We did. Yeah. Yeah. What else would you say? There's a lot in that. Thank you, Glenda. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sins. Yeah. This was... um. This was my biggest struggle as a young person. Um, we um, had moved back to my parents' hometown after my dad got out of the Navy, and my mom's best friend from high school had come to Christ and invited us to their church. Now, we were church-going folk, but we didn't go to churches that preached the gospel. Um, we went to more mainline churches that preached more of a social gospel. So I'd heard the stories about Jesus, um, but I never really heard the gospel that I can remember. And as I was hearing it, maybe for the first time, I just could not understand if Jesus did all these good things, why did he have to die? Why did they kill him? It was just glorious to have that unpacked for me. Yeah. To be our substitute. Only God can fulfill his own requirements. There's nothing we can do. How do I know that all of my sins, past, present, and future, were paid for on the cross. How do I know that? How can I be assured of that? It is finished. Yeah. 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 It is finished. He completed the work. That God gave him to do. We see it gloriously spelled out in Hebrews. All those once for all, once for all, once for all. And I enjoy talking with my Roman Catholic friends about that. Like, do you understand why that's repeated? Right? Um, as I understand in, in the Roman Catholic communion, Christ is sacrificed over and over again. We just read how that was unnecessary. Right? Perfect sacrifice. What are we saying, even as evangelical believers, Right? I don't know what evangelical means anymore. Bible-believing Christians. Um, what are we saying if we don't believe that Christ, that Christ died for our sins once for all? Right? We're saying that there's maybe something that we could, can do or should do to atone. Yeah. I really struggle with, you know, it, it is true that in Christ, um, we saw this in Romans 6, we are free from the power of sin. We have a genuine choice, and we're totally accountable. Um, there's no excuse for us sinning, and yet we sin. 
What do we make of that? How do, how do, we, how do we deal with that in our minds? I'll take you to 1 John 5, but I'll, I'll leave out anything you guys want to say about that. Just as you go through your life, so encouraged by this. Is it 1 John 5? It was a little earlier. 1 John 1. So encouraging. First John 1, starting at verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not do the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And then this is an unfortunate chapter break. <laughs> I keep reading here. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. This goes back to what you mentioned earlier, Glenda. He is our advocate, right? And this is why the work of Christ, when we talk about it today, it's very important that we understand the past work of Christ in accomplishing our salvation. But it's also very important that we understand his ongoing work. He is active, ruling and reigning, interceding for us. Wow. We draw near, right, to the throne of grace that we might find Grace to help us in time of need, which is all the time, right? Okay. So a um, couple minutes here. How else have you found the work of Christ impacts or should impact your daily living? something? When we say no to sin and yes to righteousness, when we obey him, when we obey him, when we don't want to, right? That that struggle for, of sin in our hearts is very real. I love to think about that. Every time we choose to obey, we become more like Christ. But we have to rely on His power to do it. Romans eight thirteen. I keep going back to: If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's always by His Spirit. Glenda. Yeah. 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 I'm going to end with that. That's great. Uh, look at the uh, right at the end of Romans 7. This is another very unfortunate uh, chapter break in the Bible. I don't know who put it there, but uh, it, uh, it doesn't work. Uh, it just, we need to continue the thought. So let me just read this, and then I'll close this out in prayer. Uh, Romans 7, starting in verse 21. I find in the principle that in me evil is present in me who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God and the inner man. And by the way, we wouldn't joyfully concur if we weren't saved. Right? But I see a different law in my members, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a captive to the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then... 
on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are simply in awe of your work. And even as we hear these truths, we struggle in our flesh to fully embrace them, to fully submit to them. I thank you for how humbling they are. I praise you for your humiliation um, for us. And may you increase our desire in every way to be like you, to lay aside all the things which distract and fully press on to know you, to become like you, in, even in your death as we die to sin, so that we might reign with you in your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. So next week, we're going to talk a little bit more on the same chapter on the motive for Christ's work and the resolution and continuation of Christ's work. So. Um, if you haven't done your work, your homework, please do. That'll, that'll enhance our time together next week. Thanks.